Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> hey everybody. <clears throat> hey everybody. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I'm sitting here uh, with my gorgeous daughter. Brilliant. Gorgeous. Oh, talking I think about we should start how every how podcast how like that from now uh, on. We should. We should. Um, it's and, invested for everybody who doesn't know what they clicked on. And it's invested. invested. The Invested Podcast by Dad, Gosh. How are you feeling? I'm pretty good. I'm up and around now. I just you sound a little better. Yeah, the bones got it. It kind of moves a little bit, so it's supposed to stay put. The collarbone moves a little bit. A little bit when I'm Yikes. when I'm a little do too much, you know. Okay. And I found out I broke a rib, so that explains the <sighs> desire I have to not cough or breathe <laughs> or talk, probably. <laughs> yeah, don't laugh. I shouldn't yeah. laugh. Don't make me laugh. This podcast. <laughs> okay, you just give me your wisdom and I'll nod. That's, that? I'll be so wise. I'll be so wise because we are talking about how to evaluate a company in a country uh, that's, that is not set up like the United States' SEC. And you have to kind of dig for the information mm-hmm. a little bit. We're kind of playing around with Glanbia right now, which is really turning out to be something we should probably take a look at deeper and um, last time we talked about just sort of the general getting started understanding the business kind of thing Um, and now before I dive into the moat side of things moat is so critically important the the whole idea you guys of investing is that we want to buy a few companies in our life and we got to pick them really carefully and what will make it possible to just buy a few companies in our whole lifetime is that we're picking companies that can continue to function with high degree of profitability forever. That's the idea. Of course, nobody can. Forever is too long. But then again, we don't have forever anyway. So we really need to just have them function really well for a long, long time, meaning like a decade or two would be great. And that requires that they have some protection against competition because in a capitalist society, one that is actually democratic and not fascist, right? That, in other words, a fascist capitalist society is one where the government is going to put its thumb on the scales and decide who the winners are. And uh, that they do by government regulation, government interference, government laws, all that stuff. And they really put a heavy weight on the scale. And unfortunately, more and more countries are becoming more and more fascist. They don't, of course, want to call it that because there's another version of fascism, which is what they mean by Hitler, right? But fascism as a economic system is what's going on in China right now. Um, more I or less what's going that. on in Russia. I'm going to um, let all, and, this, all these political definitions go on by. Yeah, yeah, right? agree, and, agree. And so mm-hmm. what we want to do is we want to have as capitalistic a system as we can have with very low regulation so that the market can be efficient. And that means that companies that we want to invest in will be companies that have such strong protection by virtue of a brand or by virtue of secrets, right? The, the uh, great cost of uh, efficiency of operation where they have the lowest price, uh, the lowest cost of operation. Those things provide a protection against competition. Otherwise, businesses compete with each other and wipe out the benefit of investing, which is not good. Oh, I see you rolling your eyes there. 
No, that's not a rolling of the eyes. Not, that's not a, an eye roll. That's, that's a, a stare at the ceiling. That's a what? Wait, businesses competing with each other belies the purpose of investing? Is that what you just said? A perfect competition does, yeah. What we want is imperfect competition. We want um, a bit of unfair competition, in a sense, that a company has such a big moat that you can't really compete against it. Because if ah. you have perfect perfect competition, you wipe out the profits down to a point of just survival. Interesting. Okay, I guess I don't know those. how... I've never heard the official term perfect competition before. So I guess you're defining it as equal in every way. Right. Say that that um, you decide to open your own business. Okay. You decide, all right, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Is this like an, a, a term used in business or is this something that you've sort of... I don't know. I'm, I'm just using it. Okay. But let's say you start to open a business and you don't have any particular skill set so you decide you're going to open a cleaning business because you know like how to clean your own house. Business. Oh, like a house cleaning business. House cleaning business. Okay. Right. Requires a mop and a bucket. Okay. I mean, you and and the ability to, to get to the next house. Unless you're in Switzerland. Oh my gosh. I hired somebody to come clean our apartment and you have to provide all the cleaning supplies for the person who comes, which I did not know because everybody I'd ever hired in the U.S., like as a service, brought their own cleaning supplies. So this poor lady was like, um, do you have this thing and this thing and this thing? And I was like, Nuna will run to the store right now and buy you everything you want. That is so interesting. We were so embarrassed. We were like complete unadulty on adults right there <laughs> i wonder if that's cultural or is that some sort of regulation oh gosh i think it's just the market i think it's just like that's how it is it's probably like cultural like that's how it is and that okay, way you know let's just I don't say know that swiss house cleaners are so stubborn and culturally um sort of uh locked in that if you started your own house cleaning business there in zurich you could have a niche by providing your own cleaning equipment. No, but the thing is, I really, I think maybe it is cultural because I realized that way they use the stuff you want them to use. Like, well, if yeah, you're I know. I'm trying to explain capitalism here. Okay, explain capitalism. <laughs> Don't laugh. On the cleaning explain business. capitalism. Right. No more laughing. I know. I got to not laugh. I want to hear all about capitalism so you're, right now. You're starting a cleaning business in Zurich where absolutely everyone waits to be provided the the cleaning materials and you've decided oh you're going to provide them yourself so you you advertise you don't need cleaning materials you don't need to buy this stuff i provide it all and we charge the same price oh right oh, so now you have now there's the a value proposition yep so now you have a niche for all the 10 americans who are excited about such a thing right and so let's say that you begin to sweep the market. You've just got more business than you Amongst know what to do with. Amongst the 10. You've got nine out of the 10. Nine out of the 10. And suddenly the other competitors recognize that they are going to have to equally compete or they're going to lose all their business with the market. And so they also begin to advertise that they're going to provide their own cleaning equipment. And all of a sudden your advantage goes away very quickly mm -hmm. uh, so that they don't lose their business to you. And so now you are going to try to compete by offering really fine service. 
mm-hmm. but they are also offering really fine service. They, everybody upgrades the quality of their service. Mm-hmm. And so you have to hire more people and your profit margins go down. This is kind of perfect competition. There's nothing you can do, let's just stipulate, as a cleaning business in Zurich that every other cleaning business can't copy immediately when you do it. Every innovation, every single new thing sure. is copied immediately. And therefore, there is no way you can charge a premium price. So, so it becomes a, essentially commoditized. Everybody's it's commoditized, the same. precisely. It's commoditized. And that kind of a business is unfortunately what many entrepreneurs start and much to their much to their pain and suffering because they ended up having all the problems of running a business and making less money than they do working for somebody. Mm-hmm. So, but what we want is a business that has imperfect competition, that there is something about your cleaning business. And I'll tell you what, in this case, you've invented and patented a cleaning material that lets you go through a house in one tenth the time of anybody else. Mm-hmm. The cleaning system that you've got. So you could charge the same price, but you're 10 times more profit or less labor cost. Yeah. Um, now, suddenly, we have a business we'd like to invest in. Why? Not because you've invented this thing, but because you can protect the invention. Right. You can prevent other people from copying you for the next 17 years. I gotcha. I like this uh, now that I hear the definitions. I like this view of perfect and imperfect competition. It kind of, it implies a lopsidedness. And I think that's what the moat idea is getting at. These are all just analogies, right? For having something that's protectable. But yeah, yeah, I like, I like that imperfect competition. Cool. So we're going to look at Glanbia as we go down the road here and every other company that we dig into to see what they have going that will protect them from inevitable competition. Let's just take one aspect of their their business. Okay. Um, And that would be the um, uh, performance nutrition. And so we know there's big, huge companies in America like GNC that do performance nutrition. And we know that Glanbia has, by virtue of uh, buying a lot of smaller companies become the largest performance nutrition provider in the U.S. So we're going to have to look at this and see is this a is this a position that allows them to get extra profit? Are they doing something in performance nutrition business that other companies can't copy? GNC cannot copy it, despite the fact they've got stores, they've got all this. They got a big, you know, they do a lot of advertising. Is there something that that Glanbia is doing with performance nutrition that GNC can't copy? I and love, can gonna, I just break in? I sure. love this question because it gets at a, a sort of constant issue that I have with looking at moats. And that is the situation in which a company's product or service, or let's just say the company, is they're offering the same stuff, but it's better. And I always wonder, is that really a moat? Mm-hmm. And so I hope we can talk about that with this uh, with this story here. 
Well, because I'm, abs- I'm always like unsure in that situation. It comes up over and over and over and over. Do they have a moat? Do they have a moat? And it's always like, yeah, yeah, it's a brand moat. The brand mm-hmm. is that they're the best. Mm-hmm. But what if they're not anymore? Right. So, okay. Right. Fair enough. I mean, look at the, the, uh, I want to call it the Levi's business, but the jeans business, fashion mm-hmm. jeans. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, those companies come and go. Yes. Or like, you know, my fave Lululemon, which we've talked about so many times, which has just killed it. And I completely missed that investment. Yeah. But I still struggle with that one. Who's to say there isn't going to be a new, I mean, there are constantly new athletic wear companies, but one of them one day is going to be better than Lulu, I imagine. And I, it's, it is really fascinating, actually, Lululemon as an example of this, because you would think, I mean, they've been in business a long, long time. Yeah. And I just listened to a comedian, I think it's Catherine, Kathleen Madigan or something. Anyway, she's hilarious. And she was talking about wearing Lululemon for the first time. And she was saying like, <laughs> it's like I put on a baby skin. That's right. <laughs> it's like, what? So amazingly, it's different than everyone else. Well, it's because they make their own fabrics. There you go. Nobody else has that. Um, there's this one, which is probably what she's talking about, which is called like Lumux or something like that. Baby Lux, skin. something like that. I don't know. No, you know, they come up with these names. It is yeah. like the softest, craziest material. So isn't it this amazing? It doesn't hold you in the way their other stuff does, but it is so soft. It's amazing to me that they, you know, here you have, you have big companies in this business. You got Columbia, you've got, I don't know, you got Nike, you got everybody in this, wants to be in this business. And yet here's Lululemon year after year crushing it. And now they're entering men's clothing. And Nuno was telling me how much he enjoyed it. Then Adam, you know, my other son-in-law is telling me how much he liked the present we gave. Well, speaking of Ireland, so for years I've been saying to Nuno, let's go to Lululemon and get you like some shirts or some shorts or just like casual athletic stuff, whatever, so that you can do yoga with me or you can like do Peloton cardio with me, like whatever we do, because he just only has like biking gear and tennis gear. And, um, And he was like, oh, no, like... This makes him sound terrible, but he was basically like, that's like girly store stuff. I'm like, with I you on that. I, he Noon didn't even like feel comfortable going in, except totally to like buy something him. for me, which I exactly. always thought was really weird. But, you know, men well, be it's men. Also, it's also Lululemon's branding. I mean, they made it. They went to a lot of trouble to make you think that. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Right? So when we got to Dublin, we got there. Nuno and I got there a couple days before you. And on the one airplane from Zurich to Dublin, they didn't put his suitcase on the plane, which was super annoying. And it was raining and freezing cold and he hadn't brought the right stuff. So there was a Lululemon one block away. And we, there was like, there was a department store that had nothing. And, um, and we, I mean, he literally didn't even have underwear. And the department store, God knows why, but they just didn't have anything good. And so I was like, let's just try Lululemon. He found everything. He got underwear, socks, a jacket he loves, two athletic shirts he didn't even need. He just liked them. And I think maybe some shorts also. And he now, and I kept saying to him, like, get stuff that you'll wear at home so it's not a wasted purchase. We got home and he wears his stuff 
all the time and tells wow. me over and over how much he likes his jacket from Lululemon. He's wow. so happy. He's like, the other day was like, we should go back and buy that athletic stuff that you kept talking about. Wow. And I said, great. Anyway, that's so, my Lululemon story well, of think recent. About and I'm Lululemon. determined to find the name of this fabric because I want everybody who's curious well, to be able to back get to the get point. Is get that back to the point. Had we, had we understood six years ago, or five years ago when Lululemon was at $50 and they were replacing their, their founder. They were yeah. wiping out their founder. Big red flag scared me away. Um, if we'd understood deeply enough that in, in R&D departments around the world, R&D scientists were saying, how the hell does Lululemon create this sort of a garment? We don't understand. We can't figure it out. If we had known that, right? then we would have been much more comfortable in believing that Lulu was going to be able to prevent these companies from coming in and shrinking its margins. New it Lulu. It wasn't just going to be about brand. I found it. It's called, oh, it's called Nulu. Nulu. N-U-L-U. If anybody wants the world's softest fabric, get that one. All right. Um, so yeah, exactly. Is- and I will also add that at that time, they <laughs> got Sephora. What? <laughs> Go ahead. You're, de- you're going good. They got Sephora's CEO, and Sephora went from a small makeup chain to massive global under his leadership, and I think that was the first big company he'd ever run, but he moved to Lulu, and everyone was kind of like, oh, maybe he'll save this failing company, maybe he won't, and he has done an extraordinary job, while meanwhile, Sephora has gone so downhill, like, sadly, very sadly. And, um, and so I really think a lot of these things, you know, you can look back and go like, oh, we should have seen that the fabrics were amazing, but had the leadership not known what to do with that stuff, it wouldn't have gone well. So I really think he, and I'm forgetting his name, of course, but he deserves a lot of the credit. And for anybody who's the kind of investor who watches, uh, executives and where they move to, this one is one to watch in my opinion. So to the point is to the point. that <clears throat> is that we're looking for a business that has a quality <clears throat> excuse me that is very difficult to compete against with lululemon there's a secret involved here it's not just brand it's a there's a secret yeah, people are having a terrible point. time copying this fabric <clears throat> and then of course with that secret they build this great juggernaut of a brand and now it's harder than ever even if you do copy their secret it's like Coca-Cola, you know, it's just such in people's heads what a quality garment is to go do yoga in that they're you're going to go get Lulu. Um, so the only thing these other companies can do is compete on price. That are 10 years old, I realized. The uh, other day. This is great. So that's insane for leggings. Now, I'm, I'm okay, I'm going to stop talking about trying it. Trying to I move just, us down the road from Lulu. I feel like people need to know. <laughs> I regret bringing it up. But, I brought it up. It's my fault. <laughs> so, so what I wanted to say in this very this this very singular focused podcast, so which has scattered itself all over the place like we usually do, <laughs> is that the next steps for me on Glanbia are actually not to try to figure out the moat yet. Oh, hello. Although we've wandered into moat territory. What I want to do is I want to get a fast overview of the company itself. Um, and by that, 
I mean pretty much an overview that looks at the numbers, right? So I'm starting, I'm starting off with, okay, do I understand the business? Is it pretty simple business? Yeah, okay. I mean, you know, making nutraceuticals and yeah, okay, not, it's, you're not building microchips. All right, so probably okay. I can understand this business. So good. Uh, the first box I want to check is, is it simple that I can understand it? Second box I want to check is that they have a dominant position and they do. They're the number one in the business by revenue. So that that's good. Okay, so now we know they're pretty dominant. Um, do they have a large barrier to entry? I don't know. I got to find out. So that's a box that's not checked yet. And now I'm looking at numbers. I'm going onto their balance sheet and onto their financial statements. And I'm looking at what is their return on their capital? What are, they, what are they making with earnings against their equity? So that's a really easy number to calculate. Those two numbers are right there in the financial statements. I can look at that and see if they're making a high return on equity or not, because I need them to be making a high return on equity in order to believe that they have some sort of moat. So just to ask the obvious question, hmm. does, uh, are they, where is their stock exchange? Are they listed on the Irish? They're London and London. Ireland. And okay, both. So does, um, do their reports, their public reporting, do they put that number out as part of their accounting return on it? Um, not required to put it out. It's not a gap number that everybody's required to put out. So no. So I just you, wondered if it was different on those exchanges. Maybe they required it. No. Nope. So just figure you've got to go look, got to go do the work, right? So the work is real simple. I, I go to their annual statement and I look just, okay, well, what are their profits in the last year? All right. And I see that, oh, okay, they made 362 uh, million euros. All right. So that's just a number. It's just right there. Easy to find. And then I look at their balance sheet and see what's their total equity. Oh, their equity is 1,900 million euros. So a billion, 1.8 billion, something like that. All right. With me okay. so far? Yes. So now we know that they're making 360 and they've got 1,800 to make it with. And voila, that's right at a 20% return on equity. That's really good. That's really good. I'm like, yeah. oh, hmm. Ooh. Now we're talking. Farmers know what they're doing. Yeah, these guys know what they're doing. All right, then the next number I want to calculate is- I'm just trying to give the farmers some credit because you were super down on them. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So now I, I still know, okay, they got $360 million in profit. What do they have in terms of invested capital? Well, invested capital isn't hard. It's just the equity plus the debt. All right, so I know the equity is 1.8. So now what's their debt? And I'm just going to look here on their liability sheet and I'm going to see that they have non-current liabilities of 640. So now I'm going to add that to 1.8. So now we've got 2.4 divided into 360 or 2,400 into 360. All right, which is about 15% ballpark. Still really, really high. Yeah. Still really good. 
So if I can get numbers over 10%, over 15% for ROE, return on equity, over 10% for return on invested capital, those numbers are so meaningful. It means there's not a lot of debt and they're having a really good return on it. So then the very next thing I want to look at is, whoa, they look actually pretty damn good here. What's the balance sheet look like? I mean, are, do they have plenty of cash available? Or are they really, you know, I already know the debt's pretty well under control. And so I just look at the balance sheet and I'm saying, okay, well, what do they have available for cash and all that kind of good stuff? How much of their balance sheet is intangible? And then I see the first little red flag and I see that the total assets are 3.8 billion, but they have 1.4 billion of intangible assets. Hmm. Now, this shouldn't surprise me because I already know that they're growing by acquiring other companies. And when you acquire another company, you have to put the total purchase price of that company onto your balance sheet because you're paying for it with, let's say you were to buy it for all cash. You're gonna buy a company for $200 cash. All right, so what you need to do is your balance sheet has to work out identically to the same number when you get finished with the acquisition. Mm -hmm. So you've gotta have an acquisition worth $200. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so if the balance sheet of this other company is $100, then you've bought a company that has $100 of assets and you've paid 200 for it. Mm -hmm. And the reason you did that is because there's intangible value in this company. They have a brand, they have secrets, they have all this stuff that's worth a lot of money. They make a lot of money. So particularly tech companies have, you know, if you buy a technology huge. company, you're very likely to have a huge amount of intangibles. Yeah. So I got to put that intangible on the balance sheet. So I put $100 of tangibles that go on in form of plant and equipment and all that. And then I put another 100 on as an intangible. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just depends on how good a deal this company is making on all these other companies it's buying. But it is a red flag. We want to understand what that's all about. So that's yeah. the first thing on the balance sheet. It's a red flag to me because I, I would want to know what kind of companies they're buying because right. they're not buying tech companies. Right. I, like I thought that sounded high to me because I thought they would be buying companies with a lot of tangibles, but right. maybe they're not. Maybe they're, mean, buying they're buying companies that have really great protein shake recipes. That's what I'm thinking. And they and don't why can't own they just the manufacturing, right? They like have some plan yeah. to do it for them. So they're really, that really would be an intangible kind of purchase. Maybe something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well now when I see that 1.4 uh, million, uh, 1.4 billion of intangibles, I immediately look at their equity and I see it's 1.8 billion of equity. I'm like, whoa, two thirds of their equity is intangibles. Hmm. See what I'm saying? So if I were to buy this company just for plant and equipment and hard assets and cash, and right, not worrying about the business itself, I'm you know I'm just what's the hard, like I'm, I'm going to go buy a, uh, a tractor, right? Or something, you know, I want to, I want to know I'm getting my, my whole value there. I'm only getting $400 million worth of stuff out of this company. And so, um, 
I mean, gosh, I, I've well, got to make sure I understand of, this business. Of the tangible stuff, right? Of the tangible stuff, yeah. yeah. Which so may or may really, not be even all that. Who cares? Maybe it's something we don't even care about, and the intangible stuff is incredibly valuable. Exactly. So it's just something for us to dig into down the road. So the balance sheet isn't as strong as I would like. I would love to have a balance sheet that's loaded with tangibles, um, and, and preferably I have a balance sheet that's just full of cash. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I would like that very much. <laughs> So um, that's that's okay. I know their balance sheet is okay, but it needs some needs some information. And then I'm going to look at valuation on this company really quickly. And I think I already said that I looked at that, and it looks like it has a pretty close to a ten cap valuation. In other words, it's available in the market for about ten times the owner earnings of the company. So now I've got a company. Wow, I'm I'm really now I'm getting pretty damn interested because. It's a pretty simple business. They dominate their market. I don't know if they have a barrier to entry, which has got to be dug into. I don't know if management is that talented, but they appear to be a pile of accountants who are apparently pretty good at buying stuff. They've got very high return on equity and very high return on invested capital, which is very good. They've got a solid balance sheet, uh, which has some questions about it. And their valuation is in the ballpark of what I would might want to really pay for a company like this. And then Ireland in the background, which is growing in the corporate world mm-hmm. by leaps and bounds since Brexit. Yeah. So depending on yeah. how much stock we put into that part of the equation. Yeah, it's very interesting. And then now I'm going to ask one more important question. Now that I've kind of done some work on this and I understand the business is pretty interesting, does this thing really fit my values? Do do I want to be supporting a business, encouraging a business, betting on a business, thinking about a business uh, for the next 10 years that does what these guys do? Mm-hmm. Do I want to really own this like a real owner? Yeah. Where it, I'm putting my money where my mouth is, where my values are, where my passions are, where I, I want to see a world that's better for you guys, my kids, that I think this company is going to contribute to that. Yeah, exactly. So that would be the, something I want to ask in, uh, about this. And I would say this business is not disqualified. Performance nutraceuticals, pretty interesting. I think it's really cool. I'm going to, yeah. I keep saying this, I'll look into it one day when I can read. <laughs> shall, shall, we keep, shall we keep going deeper on Let's this? Let's keep going deeper. Okay. I hope you guys it's, are doing your own research. None of this is advice, obviously. Could be totally wrong. Read the financial statements yourself, but very cool. Yeah, but hopefully okay. you're getting an idea how we might dig into this, how we think about it. I love going so, through it with you. It's really fun for me to hear how you do it. All right, more on this. Okay, Time to thanks everybody. See you, honey. Bye. Bye. Hi guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding, they really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. 
This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it. <laughs>